0: You could all say that, actually. One day, there'll be a woman here. Josh can say it, Mike can say it. Brother Jonathan can say it. Mike says no to that. Josh? Will there be a... You're not rolling it out? I'm ready. Okay, here we go guys, uh, welcome. This is November 26, Revelation chapter 12. I am actually very enthused about today's teaching. It's, it's no pun intended, revelatory. Uh, some really good things I think are there that are, uh, they take some obscure stuff and it kinda looks very simple. So stick with me as we go through it and uh, let's uh, sing the word of God set to music. Let's pray and let's sit in silence for a few minutes. Just think for a second about our relationship with God uh, privately and and then we'll come back and get into Revelation chapter 12. Lord, we uh, thank you. Boy, do we thank you for life today. We uh, thank you for all things and uh, uh, we love you and seek you and need you in, in spirit and in truth. We pray for people who are uh, wondering about you and wondering about life, and just aren't sure maybe crises of faith or indifference to things. We just pray that your spirit will fortify us and give us that uh, support and that insight to see the long view, an eternal perspective, and uh, to have joy and happiness along the way. Love for each other. We pray as we study uh, Revelation today that we'll have your insights. And uh, we pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.
1: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are I will destroy The wisdom of the wise And bring to nothing The understanding of The prudent For the message of Who are being saved Be given to you. Seek and you.
0: Okay, welcome back. We left off with the last verse of chapter 11. And uh, I suggest that that's the first verse of chapter 12. It should be, shouldn't be a break there. And we also said that the last verse of of chapter 11, we enter into a new phase of the book of Revelation. That the first 11 chapters were visions that pertain to earth and heaven, kind of a mixture between the two and that these new series of visions pertain to things in the past, and they pertain to a lot of things that are heavenly. So uh, let's get into these visions that are through, begin at the last verse of chapter 11, all the way through through chapter 19. So this is the new segment, now through the end of chapter 19. And uh, let me start by giving you a real tricky question, which in this state really can get you into trouble if you stop here. But do we have a mother in heaven? There's a question for you. Do we have a mother in heaven? And what we are going to read today tells us that we do. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So uh, please don't turn it off now or I'll just get in more trouble. But you're gonna see that we do have, as what scripture says, a mother in heaven. And we'll talk about that. So as we mentioned, the book of Revelation is also known as the apocalypsis. And that word apocalypsis, uh, that's what the Catholics call revelation in their Bible, the apocalypse. And apocalypsis of Jesus is what revelation is. It says that in Revelation chapter one, verse one. This is the apocalypsis of Jesus, the revelation, the uncovering, the unveiling of Jesus. That's the way to understand that. So with unveiling, revelation is one and the same, and that's where we get the word revelation. But it's really in the Greek, the apocalypsis. And I believe that when Jesus was asked questions of his apostles while he was wandering around, especially in Matthew 23, 24, 25, that he didn't have some of the answers. He said, no man knows this, but Now we are given those answers in the revelation of Jesus Christ, and those answers are being given to John through the revelation. So while Revelation chapter 1, 3 says that the book, it talks about things that are about to happen. uh, we often feel that the whole book is based in its contents on what is going to happen and so we read it with those eyes. There is a bit of information in the book of Revelation that is not about things that are going to happen but things that had happened. And we're gonna talk about some of those things today. These revelations of heavenly th- of things reveal or unveil to the reader uh, symbolisms through signs, and and so that being said, it seems that Revelation chapter twelve is unveiling of things not only to come, but also of things that have occurred in the past. To John, they had occurred before he received this revelation. This is an important distinction to make here because. We often maintain that all of Revelation is all about what's coming in the future. In fact, even today, we think it's happening in our future. But, um, and, and a lot of it was gonna happen just prior to 70 AD, but uh, I think we have an exemp- exception here in chapter 12. All right, the vision of Revelation 12 goes back to, let me say this so you get it in your head, it goes back to not the physical birth of Jesus, It goes back to the resurrection of Christ. I'm gonna prove that today through scripture. It's going back to the resurrection of Christ around 30 AD. So let's read the chapter together and and just listen to the contents of it. And you're probably gonna say, wow, what does that mean? What does that mean? And some of it is really going to open up to us, I think. Ready? Verse one, and John writes, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon upon her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven And they did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a 2,203 score days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now I heard a voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and ye that dwell in them Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which which brought forth the man. And the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time for the from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which, kept the, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> because of our background in religious training, many of us are reading these things and we're saying, oh, I know when that was. That was when Satan was kicked out of heaven at the beginning and before the earth was and came down here to tempt us. And we think, oh, the woman who's big with child, doesn't say big with child here, but she's gonna give birth to Jesus. That's the birth of Jesus. And we have all these things in our heads. So just remember a lot of that. We're gonna cover the content pretty much of the first five verses. So let me just read those really quickly to you, and then we're gonna talk about them. And I'm telling you, this stuff really makes some sense as I've been able to discover it. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, John says. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now who is that woman? Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great and fiery dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations. Let's go back to this first line. Is it on? Okay. Now, John writes, this is after everything we've already seen, a great sign appears in heaven. We're told in the the first chapter of Revelation that it's a book of signs and symbols. It's being revealed to us through signs and symbols. So what's important about what John says here is he calls this a great sign. All right. To me, this differentiates it from all the other signs that we've been given. This one, perhaps, is a sign above all other signs for us to consider. If this is the case, then we should pay a particular attention to what's being said here because he calls it a great sign. At this chapter, we're presented with three main characters. The woman, the man-child, and the dragon we're also presented with three scenes. The birth of the child, which is verse one, verses one through six. The casting of the dragon out of heaven, verses seven through 12. And the dragon making war with the woman and the rest of her children. That's verses 13 through 17, verses. When I say, I get those mixed up when I talk. So Revelation 19, 15, that's jumping out ahead, tells us, that the male child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, who he is? He is Jesus the Messiah, all right? The reference to the Messiah ruling over the nations, ruling over the nations, comes from Psalm chapter two, verses seven through nine. And I'm gonna read you the Septuagint version of that. That's the Greek translation of Psalm, not the Hebrew translation. It says, (laughs) sorry declaring the ordinance of the lord the lord said to me thou art my son today i have begotten thee now ask yourself a question if you've been with us for a while you know how this is interpreted by me through the scripture but when god says today i have begotten thee most people think oh we're talking about the birth of jesus Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the ends of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt rule them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces as a potter's vessel. That's the Septuagint version of Psalms 2, uh, Psalm two twenty. Uh, I mean, seven through nine. So where God the Father says, today I have begotten thee, in Psalm 2, seven, he's talking about, listen, he is talking about, the day he raised Jesus from the grave. That is the application when God says, today I have begotten you, he is talking about the day that God raised Jesus up from the grave, okay? Prior to that, he was his only begotten son, but he did not begat him as that son until he resurrected. I can prove it through scripture. Acts 13, verses 33 through 34, Paul is speaking in a synagogue to a bunch of Jews. This is what Paul says, quoting from Psalm 2, that God has fulfilled this promise in our children in that he raised up Jesus as it was written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So that's what it's speaking of. Uh, Paul himself says, that's the meaning of Psalm 279. When God says, this day I have begotten you, it's when he raised up Jesus. We always read it the other way, that's not what it means. And he goes, and as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, No more to return to decay, he has spoken saying, I will give to you the holy and sure blessing of David. So those two passages in Acts 13 are talking about God in scripture, Old Testament and new, when he says, this day I have begotten you, God is talking about when he raised him from the dead. That is when he begat Christ according to that perspective. In Revelation 12, we are being shown this resurrection as the birth of the Messiah. Then the male child having been resurrected, then the male child having been raised from the dead, having been begotten of God is caught up to God's throne. Once again, what is being shown here is not Jesus being born of a woman on earth but his being born, uh, begotten of God when the father raised him from the dead or resurrected him. If you, now, you can go back and prove that. I just gave you how to do it. You can say, oh, no, 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 this is too easy to see. This is a woman giving birth. But the scripture says, God says you have been begotten by me on the day he was resurrected. Therefore, as soon as the male child is resurrected, delivered, delivered, remember, delivered from the hands of flesh and from death, as soon as he's been delivered, he's caught up to God's throne with God saying, this day I have begotten you, okay? Now, if you look at the panoply of of the whole story, that makes sense, that Jesus born of a woman, born under the law, tempted in all things, God would say to him, once he died, resurrected, overcame sin, the grave, and death, God would say to him, this is the day I've begotten you because that would be the day when God truly has his only human son who's overcome all things. Prior to that, Jesus was still doing that. So that does make sense if you allow yourself to think of it. In verse nine of this chapter, 12, the dragon who is Satan, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, was expecting to devour this male child Perhaps Satan thought that he was devouring him at the cross or, or, or some thinking along that line. When the child is caught up to the throne of God, he is exalted as God's only begotten son and not as someone that Satan has overcome. So we think, well, Herod tried to have the child killed and so Satan came down and tried to have that happen according, and this is what Revelation is telling and that's the standard way to understand it. I don't think that's what it's saying. One thing we do know is instead of devouring Christ as Satan, the dragon, had planned, Satan ends up being cast out of heaven, which is, which is in Revelation 12, verse nine which says, after the birth of the male child, other children are born. These other children who keep the commandments of God and have a testimony of Jesus are those who have been made spiritually alive by God by way of Jesus' death and resurrection. So what we have to understand is that we see that when Satan is cast out and cast down, we think of it as in the beginning Uh, when he insulted God and there was the division, war in heaven and all that and cast down to earth and that's what Revelation's talking about. But when we look at what John actually says and when he starts talking about this mother with the stars and the sun and the moon, which we're gonna get to, What he's really talking about is Satan was cast out of heaven for good. No more visits to uh, Joe, like to Job. uh, Who was? What's going on with Job? No more of that with Satan, the accuser. He's been cast out once Jesus resurrected, and he draws with him angels to come with him. Where down to earth? That's what we are reading about and trying to understand. So Romans eight we're told how Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Revelation chapter 12 is unveiling this truth to us in a picture form, showing us the firstborn, Revelation 12, 5, and then many brethren after him, Revelation 12, 17. So in Ephesians, Paul talks about how in Christ we are made alive together with Jesus. It says in chapter two, four and five, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. This verse speaks to the rest of the woman's children. The woman has a son, which which John describes, and then she has more children as Revelation 12 tells us. Who are those other children? Okay, so that, this is the rest of the children who have been made spiritually alive by way of Jesus' death and resurrection, not his birth and crucifixion, but by his death and resurrection. So the woman represents heavenly Jerusalem. That's who this woman is, heavenly Jerusalem, which is a symbol for the mother of the new covenant. That's our mother in heaven. The new Jerusalem is our mother in heaven. That's who, that's who she is, the new Jerusalem, which is the new covenant people. This is taken from Isaiah 66, where it says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a child. That's really quixotic language. What do you mean before she entered into labor, she gave birth? Before her pain came, she delivered, well, remember, She delivered a child and then she was destroyed, you see? So that's what he's telling us here. This is the order of things. Who has heard such a thing, Isaiah asks? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause shall I who caused delivery shut up the womb? Meaning there's gonna be more coming, saith God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her. Jerusalem's always a her. She's the mother of the new covenant. And, and who for all who love her, rejoice with joy for her, all you who mourn for her, all right? So here Isaiah sees Jerusalem pictured as a woman giving birth to child or children. Just as in Revelation 12, there is the birth of a male child and then there are a number of other children. In terms of these other children, Isaiah asked the rhetorical question, shall a nation be born at once? And the answer is yes. Again, the other children represent those who have been born of God by and through Jesus' victory over uh, the cross, death, Will you bring that to me? It's gonna ring forever. It's my phone. It's on the ladder. This is my life this past week. Thank you, Jonathan. Oh wait, it's my bookie. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. yeah, better take that. Okay, so. This is the picture that we have. Isaiah sees Jerusalem pictured as a woman who is giving birth. This concept of a holy nation is used by Peter when he talks about those who have come to faith in Christ. This is what 1 Peter 2, 9 says, remember? He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may claim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isaiah speaks of most of Jerusalem's pain and travail coming after delivery. Of who? Of the Messiah and then those who followed him. After delivery come the pain and travail of Jerusalem. And that's why these epistles that we read and the Revelation and stuff are the, the writers telling them to hang on. Now you're gonna enter into the difficult phase. You have been birthed through a time that wasn't so bad, but now you have entered into a time that's really ugly. So this may correspond to Satan being, just remember, at the resurrection of the Messiah, this may correspond to when the red dragon is cast out of heaven once and for all. He's had the victory then. And so there's no way that Satan can continue to have reign over anything, won't have any power, and won't have any access to the throne of God. So he's cast down to earth. Revelation 2:17 says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman, Jerusalem, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So we can see that, how that plays, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. This is perfectly describing what happened. First comes the male child, then comes those who follow in after, then comes the travail of birth and pain, and and it's caused by the dragon going after the woman and making war with the remnant of her seed, the remainder of who uh, spiritual Jerusalem truly are. Now listen, the trials and travail of God's people would be much worse after Jesus' resurrection than before. Why? Because Satan would then be cast down to earth. Okay, now listen, we've had the discussion in here. Is Satan still around? I say no. It's done. Be- oh no, 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 no. No, it's done. And here, this stuff is supporting it, if you allow yourself to read it. That's why Revelation 12:12 12, 12 says, listen to it. Therefore, rejoice you heavens and you that dwell in them. Okay, the heavens are rejoicing. Why? Satan's been cast out. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and for the sea for the devil is come down to you. Jesus resurrects. Satan's cast out. Where did he go? He came down to us with his legions of angels. And when was that? Right after Jesus resurrected, till the time he came to save Jerusalem. That was the period of time where Satan was at war. And he says, Come down to you having great wrath. Listen, because he knows he has but a short time. And he did. It was a short window of time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast down to earth, he persecuted Jerusalem, the woman which brought forth the man child. And that's why Jerusalem is getting it's so much is being heaped upon her. Go with me, the writer of Hebrews, in one of my favorite. Chapters of Hebrews, but go with me for a couple verses. Chapter 12 refers to uh, the heavenly Jerusalem relating it to the new covenant, her to the new covenant. And this is what it says to believers then. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, and the spirits have just been made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and of the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. So we have there that this new Jerusalem here, the mother now, it's a spiritual mother. And that is where the true inhabitants of heaven are what they're part of. In Galatians 4, 24 through 26, Paul writes about the heavenly Jerusalem saying that it represents the new covenant and that she is the mother of all believers. There's my tie-in to the mother of heaven. Do we have one? Yes, the new Jerusalem. Where is it? She's in heaven. She's the mother in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24 through 26 of Galatians 4. Listen closely. He's, He's talking about Abraham having a child by a slave woman, Hagar, and a child by a free woman, Sarah. You remember that story, Old Testament. And then he says the following. These things are symbolic, okay? So when we read about Abraham taking on another wife and oh, that shouldn't have happened, God shouldn't have, it was symbolic. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture and type. For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage that's the law, that's the literal Jerusalem. For much Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, which corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children, ready? But the Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all. Do you hear that? The Jerusalem which is above, is the mother of us all. And so we're able to see today, it frustrates me to no end, to see all this petitioning and stuff about Israel and Jerusalem and we got, it's such baloney. It has no application at all. It was done here well before we ever came along. All that stuff about Zionism and and the political stuff that we have to do and all this stuff, it's just made for a big mess of the gospel when in fact right now we see the Jerusalem which is above is the mother of us all. We don't care about the old one. I mean, we care about it in terms of human beings and reaching people with the gospel and all that, sure. But they're not special. They are not special anymore. The real Jerusalem is the mother of all and is heavenly. It says it right there. So again, the woman represents heavenly Jerusalem pictured as the mother of the new covenant. So anybody who's a Christian today was birthed from the heavenly Jerusalem. The spirit of God dwells there and fills those who are its inhabitants. The male child represents the Messiah as the firstborn of this covenant the firstborn of the covenant. The rest of the children represent those who have been born again by way of that new covenant by the mother Jerusalem on high, spiritual. That the woman is both the mother of the Messiah, okay, who will rule with iron, as it says in verse five, and the mother of believers in Jesus, those who have a testimony of Jesus, verse 17, speaks of God's continuity between covenants. It's all there, very plainly laid out for us. Those who believe in Jesus have been grafted in to Israel. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus today, you are Israel. There is no state of Israel, but there is a people who are Israel, okay? And and Paul makes that so perfectly clear in Romans 11. We are Abraham's offspring as Galatians 3.7 and 29 makes clear, because we are from the true Jerusalem from above. The true Jew is therefore the one who has been circumcised in the heart, not of the flesh, whose mother came from above, not of the earth. That's true Jerusalem. Don't go down, he's anti-Semitic, none of that. But in Christ, we are all the same, you see. All the way back in the Gospel of Luke, describing the birth of Jesus, a man named Simeon comes forward. You may not remember this, we haven't covered Luke verse by verse. And he comes forward and he speaks of the blessed child, Jesus, and he speaks of prophecy and he says, behold, this child is destined, ready, for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Do you remember that little blessing that Simeon gives, comes out of the temple and he's a, he's a great man of faith and he sees the Christ child and he says, in his blessing, Luke 2.34, that, 2, that the fall and the rising of many in Israel because of this child. What does it mean? I suggest that the fall would involve those Jews who rejected Christ and they were wiped out and the rise would involve those Gentiles and Jews who believed on him thereafter as as a result of the first rejection. So the woman being associated with the sun and moon and stars, where does all this come from? It helps us understand who she is. She is the mother Jerusalem and heaven. Well, how does it do that? Well, where do we find sun, moon, and 12 stars? we go back to Genesis and we read about this guy named Joseph. And remember that guy had this dream, and in that dream, uh, this symbol stood for Joseph's family who was to become the nation of Israel. So the sun represents Jacob's father, uh, and the moon represents Rachel, his mother, and then there are 12 stars. That's Joseph and his 11 brethren So this woman who is giving birth to this nation, Christ Jesus, and then those who follow him in the new covenant, is is being replicated here in Revelation to show you what Joseph was dreaming. He was dreaming that through his parents, those 12 tribes were going to become earthly Israel. And that's why this woman in in the vision that John has is decked with those symbols. So once again, the fact that the woman is clothed with symbols that represent Israel shows the continuity between the Old Testament visions and ways of material to the New Testament ways of spiritual. Uh, With believers now making up Jerusalem in the truest sense, uh, uh, not uh, Israel, uh, above. Believers making up Israel now. So those under the new covenant have become part of true Israel, or as scripture uniquely puts it, it's in Galatians 6.16, the Israel of God. There's a passage that says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything. Okay, so forget about that Jews circumcision stuff, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to his rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God the Israel of God. Who is the Israel of God? In an age where there is no difference between male and female and bond and free and Greek and Jew, the Israel of God has been defined as those who have received his son by faith. That's the Israel of God. This is why eschatology is so important because it frees us from making old Israel, old Jerusalem, and all that stuff any part of the conversation. We know now that the new Jerusalem, which is based in heaven, who who is the mother of the new covenant believers with the firstborn being Christ Jesus, that's what we are talking about now. And anyone who belongs to that city is came from that lineage, not from Joseph and his uh, 11 brothers. So at verse nine, Revelation 12, we are told that the great red dragon that is called that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So calling Satan that serpent of old alludes back to the Garden of Eden. In the garden, God had told the serpent about that struggle, we've talked about it, Uh, that would happen between he and the woman. Do you remember it? It says in Genesis 3.15, we've read it many times. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. I think that's the best uh, interpretation of that passage. Uh, that passage is known by uh, apologists as the Proto-Evangelium, big word. Uh, I just call it Genesis 3.15, but the proto And what it means is it's looking toward the death of Christ on the cross. That's what that is, the first real solid passage in scripture that says, Wow, God has been talking about that event way in advance, and it's, it's that passage. Physically, the cross was a serious bruise for Jesus. Um, ultimately, however, it was not catastrophic. Why? Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And f- but for the serpent, the cross was a death blow. It was a death blow. So why we continue to talk about him roaming about like a roaring lion and giving him power where there is none, he's been cast, it's gone, and overcome, and remember when he was cast down, that he says he was making war against the mother of the children, uh, Jerusalem. Why? He said because he knew his time was short. His time was gonna end, and then it was going to be complete, right? So... He, Satan, was completely defeated at Calvary with the resurrection being the stamp of, you're done for, fathead, out of here. You're gone. So he was cast down. At the time Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave, he was cast down to earth to make war against this woman who has brought forth the children of God in the new covenant. Just remember Matthew 28, 18. This is before Jesus ascends. Do you remember what he says? He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's what he said. He didn't say most power. Satan will still have a little. He said, all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. If he had all power, then he has it now, right? And the power to take lives captive and held in the hidden place after this life is done. That is all done by him who overcame that covered place. So in Revelation 12, we see the woman, the serpent, the seed and the hatred between them. Then we read that the dragon sweeps away a third of the stars, uh, which probably represents a third of the angels that were with him against God. So that tells us a little something about the economy of heaven, that in that economy, there was darkness. There were angels that had a place of being dark in that realm, that it wasn't just this. So Christ's victory had a victory in heaven too. That's why Satan was cast out. If he had the victory, he had it heaven, and on, heaven and on earth, right? And so he had the victory there and Satan was cast down to earth. His last, his his time was short. He knew it was wrapping up. And so he poured out whatever he had left upon Jerusalem. Uh, As the accuser, mind you. Remember, he's the accuser under what? The law. When we're dead to the law, Satan has nothing at all. So as that accuser, he was cast out. That's what verse nine says, that... Satan's angels are thrown down with him, which concurs with Revelation 120, where the stars are used to represent angels. Gathered a third of the stars, angels are called the stars in Revelation chapter one, verse 20. So we're gonna get to the dragon and the seven heads and 10 horns in the future. But for the time being, it seems that Satan was working through the Roman Empire in, his, in its war against the woman and her surviving children. Um, which is what Revelation has been telling us from the get-go. Then we read at verse six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Here's that number, baby. uh, 1,260 days. All right. The woman and the rest of her children, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, flee into the wilderness where they were protected for 1,260 days using a 360-day calendar. 1,260 days equals three and a half years, okay? So we might read it as that's when the church was protected. During the time when the Roman army was throwing down on Jerusalem, uh, she was protected for this period of time. In Revelation 12, 14, the same topic is discussed, but the time period of three and a half year, three and a half is put a little differently. There it says that the woman goes into the wilderness where she is nourished for, you ready? A time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So this refers to the time period of three and a half being time, being uh, one, and then times equaling two and a half time equaling two plus one and the half time being three and a half. The use of time and times and a half time may let the reader know that exactly 1260 days may not refer to literally three and a half years, but we can't really say. So I'm gonna wrap it up with this. The three and a half alludes back to the 70 weeks in Daniel. Chapter nine. Uh, Some of the greatest Bible commentators, Old Testament, I read the quotes this past week say, chapter nine is one of the most difficult sets of uh, uh, chapters in the whole New Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. That's a huge thing to say. So when we try to say this is what it means exactly and exactly and exactly, it's very tough. But let's touch on it to wrap all this up as we're at this verse six of chapter of 12 of Revelation. In chapter nine of the book of Daniel, the following discussion of 70 weeks occurs. At 24, we read words that just relax and listen to what Daniel writes. And you tell me when you think, what you think this is describing, okay? And then we'll move on. Ready, Daniel writes, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for inquiry, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, does that sound like something that's coming? Does that sound like 70 weeks pertain to a specific time where all that rhetoric describes what Jesus did? I would say the latter, without a problem. So, it's obviously talking about Jesus and his days. The 70 weeks, literally sevens, 70, are usually taken to mean 70 weeks of the year. Well, excuse me, no. 70 weeks of years. So 70 weeks of years is going to be 490 years. So you have to start doing some arithmetic stuff. This time period is divided up for Daniel into seven weeks, followed by 62 weeks, followed by one week. So we have, seven weeks, that's 49 years, by 62 weeks, that's seven times 62, however many years that is, followed by one seven-year period. In Daniel 9, 26, 27, we read, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. That's talking about his crucifixion, in my estimation. But not for himself, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. Remember floods in in scripture often talk about invasions of armies. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then at verse 27, uh, uh, he writes, Daniel writes, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall he shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So, in Daniel nine twenty-six, it says that the Messiah would be cut off. That's Jesus uh, after sixty-two weeks. That happened during the last week of the 70 weeks, in my estimation, after the people of the prince, the Romans, would destroy the city and the sanctuary, the temple, and Jerusalem. And it's generally admitted that G- Jesus was crucified around 30 AD. So the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple happened by 70 AD by the Romans under Titus. Daniel nine twenty seven is restating, is a restating in verse 26, in a little different form. It says that he, the Messiah, would confirm and literally cause to prevail a covenant with many for one week, which is Daniel's 70th week. This would be during the last week of the 70th week. Halfway into this, three and a half, he, the Messiah, would bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, is what Daniel says. Halfway into it, He will bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. That happened at the cross. When Jesus, three and a half years of earthly ministry, half the week was cut off. Even though the Jews still offered sacrifices, God no longer was gonna recognize them. There'd be no need. His son had been offered. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb of God, made sacrifices obsolete. That's what Daniel is talking about. Hang with me now. This left one half of a week, okay? So three and a half days. Um, Of the 70 after Jesus' death on the cross, that still needs to be fulfilled. Futurists, even if they agree up to this point, say we are now in a gap. And there's a gap where nothing else is gonna happen until he comes again. But everything we are studying shows to me that that gap is a man-made thing for people who don't understand what they're reading with what we're studying right now. So the book of Revelation is um, constantly making reference to three and a half, 42 months, uh, 1,260 days, times and t- time and times and a half. In Daniel 9, 27, after the sacrifices ended in the middle of the week, the next thing spoken of is the one who makes desolate, okay? That's the next thing that comes about in Daniel's prophecy. And the one who would make desolate would pour out the consummation of judgment on the desolate. This is the same idea that is talked about of in the previous verse, 26, that the people of the prince would come and destroy the stadium sanctuary which were left desolate after the rejection of the Messiah. These were, again, the Romans. So in Matthew 23, I know we're covering a lot now as we wrap it up, Jesus spoke of the desolate condition of Jerusalem, actual Jerusalem, and the temple, Jerusalem's house, after rejecting him. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her, How often I would gather your children together, a way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. The same word in the Septuagint in Daniel, the same word in Revelation, the same word in the Greek here in Matthew 27, desolate. That's what he was talking about. This coming of the one who is to pour out judgment on the desolate was accomplished, of course, through Titus and the Romans. Now listen, according to this interpretation, the last half of Daniel's 70th week, three and a half, was symbolic of the time between the cross, 30 A.D., when the sacrifices were made no longer valid and the end of the Jewish age at 70 A.D., with the consummation of pouring, being poured out upon the desolate Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans. Now that this interpretation is validated by the fact that Revelation chapter 12 puts the starting point of a time and times and a half time at Jesus' resurrection or the birth, remember, or the birth of the child before God. Today I have begotten my only begotten son. In Daniel 12, seven, now a glorious guy appears in linen, probably the pre-incarnate Christ is what most people say. And he says that the ending point of a time, times, and half a time would be when the power of the holy people is shattered. That would be the end of the time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people is shattered. Listen to what it says in chapter, uh, chapter uh, tw- uh, 12 verse 7 of Daniel Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time times and half a time and when the people of the and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered all these things shall be finished The power of the holy people was completely shattered in 70 AD. When their temple was gone, their priesthood was gone, their genealogy was gone, they don't even know who should be a high priest today. It was shattered. It, we're just making up We're just making up religion now with all this stuff that we're talking about. They don't have the capacity to do it. It was shattered. In fact, we don't even know who a Jew really is anymore because of the, the loss of the genealogies. So when a man clothed in linen was saying that in the last three and a half of Daniel's 70th week would be completed when the power of the holy people was completely shattered, we know when that would happen historically and we can say fulfilled. We can say that's the end of it, that's that's done. It's sort of a lengthy, lengthy digression here uh, to give background to the meaning of all these Things that we have just read, and the and the Daniel's seventy weeks, and everything else, uh, but it brings together some interesting stuff for us when we're looking at when does all this take place, or has it taken place? We have the woman who was protected; those are the children who came after her, the first son in the wilderness from the serpent. We have the birth of a male child, and we have the last half of Daniel's 70th week described for us with it ending with a desolation and the shattering of God's holy people. This last half of the 70th week was the only part of Daniel's 70 weeks to be fulfilled after the death and resurrection of Christ. So you can believe that we are still waiting on that or you can believe according to what was said today and other places that it's occurred Then in Revelation chapter 12, it refers to a period of time between Jesus' resurrection and the woman who gives birth to the male child, which is what the woman is giving birth to in the male child, and the end of the Jewish age when the power of the holy people is completely shattered, ending that point in time, times, and half a time of Daniel 12, seven. And I think we'll stop here and we'll continue this, a summary of chapter 12 before we get to the verse by verse of what things actually uh, could mean with Satan and, and some of that other stuff. Questions, insights, commentos. toes Want me to repeat that stuff? <laughs> Did you have a comment, Jonathan? Or were you stretching?
1: Wow. Wow. That was a lot to take in, Sean. And uh, and I just want to say thank you. And Praise God, brother. Thank you to the Holy Spirit for helping Yay, us amen. understand his word uh, with sound minds and uh, in spirit and in truth. Because there is so much uh, courage and confidence and just this peace that we talk about with God now, knowing that. His kingdom exists, and New Jerusalem is waiting for us all. Yeah, and, you're part uh, of it. And we're already living it yeah. here on earth. That's right. And that's just an incredible feeling to, yeah. to really trust in the Lord. Yeah. So uh, God bless you all, and, uh, and I encourage everybody to keep an open mind and an open heart to the Holy Spirit of God and how he speaks to us. Amen, brother.
0: Anybody else? Patrick wants to give thanks for the protection he's received.
1: Thanks for your teaching, Sean. Welcome. I don't understand protoism, but uh, completely, but I just thank God. Who does? But I thank God Jesus is the King. Life has been hard for me recently, but God has been with me. So, uh, for me, because, yeah,
0: got it. I just love Jesus so much. He loves you too. That it. All right, let's pray. Hopefully, I've got everybody on this list. I think we do. Lord, we pray that you'll open up to your will and uh, according to your will and ways, and according to all that you have done and fulfilled in and through the nation of Israel giving us uh, your son, the oracles that we read and study, the spirit which came to guide and direct us and just uh, that, that membership in that community, that new Jerusalem, the mother of us all uh, in terms of our spiritual new covenant with you. And so help us as, as uh, citizens of that, of that city on high that we haven't seen but we're part of spiritually here that will abide with each other as if We are in the New Jerusalem. That we will live within the city walls and not on the outskirts. That we will abide with each other in love and the fruit of it. And that's the point with all people, that will be that city set on a hill which cannot be hid. We pray for those who are on our list. We pray for our sister Diana and her difficulties, great difficulties with her health and her emotional state. We pray that you will support her and make yourself known. We pray for Lisa in these days of terminal illness, that if a healing is, is needed, we will have it. And if not, that we, that Parrish and the, her daughter and everybody will carry forward and, and hope. We pray for Teresa and the battle she's having in her home. We pray a mighty protection around that whole family and the infighting and things going on there. We pray for our brother Patrick, who just said he was having a tough time that you will help him with the things that are troubling him in his life, whether it's his occupation or what to do or whatever trials that are around him, Lord. We pray for our brother and help strengthen him in the things that you want for him and anybody else who should be on this list. A lot of people come and go from here, Lord. We, we lose contact with people. We don't know sometimes what happens to them, but we pray for anybody who is seeking you, for anyone who knows you. We pray for the body. We pray for the membership of uh, the new jerusalem and we pray that we can bring more and more people to be part of it and that they will see our love and they will want to have a piece of that property of that real estate which is spiritual and given to us on high by and through the death and resurrection of your son so we love you and we praise you help us to dedicate part of our mind each hour of each day toward you lord and uh, to think of you throughout until we meet next week. Use us in the meantime. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: For I am not ashamed. for the Greek